Everyone knows that some video games feel like they were made to be played on a handheld system. What this podcast presupposes is, maybe they all do. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we're talking about handheld gaming, the Switch, the Steam Deck, classics like the Game Boy and the Vita, and how our relationship with handheld gaming has changed our relationship with games. Let's charge our batteries and get into it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Trier. Hello. And hello. Hello, hello there. Hello. It's us again. Welcome back for another week of Triple Click. <laughs> we did it. Another we made week. It through another week. <laughs> did we? Did we, though? Because we're recording this early. We didn't. We don't know. Maybe we didn't make it through the week. Hey, man, I was trying to maintain the illusion No, here. I think we got to be honest. No. What if something well, really yeah. weird happens next week and like we still run the episode? Or there's like, like huge there's news that's happened. I don't Grand know. Grand Theft oh, Auto 7 leaks on the <laughs> Yeah, based on the last two weeks, since I started my paternity leave, there's just been right. nonstop crazy news every single day. So, so people there probably might be wondering... Be. Some Why aren't they news. talking about the big news? Why are they talking about this yeah. topic? But, you know, that's because we recorded this a week early. And yes. sometimes you have to do yes, that in podcasting. It's yeah, true. so we're doing that. So hopefully you all listening made it through the past week at least. And hopefully we did too. We don't know. We're, we're talking to ourselves <laughs> in the future. And we're talking to all of you in the future now too. Though I suppose we always do that whenever we record the show. All right, I'm not going to get derailed by this <laughs> quantum quantum pondering. Yeah, we always record in the past. That's so wild when you think Pretty about it. Pretty wild why do we keep doing that i don't know it's really really podcasting is a form of time travel and our form of time travel is entirely supported by listeners how's that for a transition hey uh, we love all of you who support triple click um all of you who have become members of maximum fun to help us keep this time travel machine running your support your membership is the Stuff that we put into the flux capacitor to power it up. That's so right. We can fly our DeLorean <laughs> straight into the camera and onward into the future. So anyways, yeah, we uh, we appreciate everyone's support, and that's how we keep making this show. And if you want to become a member of Maximum Fun and support the creation of Triple Click and all the other Maximum Fun shows, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash join. And doing so, becoming a member, will get you access to a whole bunch of bonus episodes from a whole bunch of different shows, including this one. We do a monthly bonus episode. And by the time you're listening to this, the September bonus episode will be up. It is us discussing five games apiece that formed us in our youths. So these are games that are good and games that were not great, um, but games that were important to us in some ways. It was really fun. We already recorded it, uh, and it was it was a cool conversation. So yeah, MaximumFun.org slash join if you want to become a member and support our show. And thanks so much to everyone who already does so. All right, Maddie, what are we talking about this week? This week we are talking about handheld video games. This sure is are. the closest that I think we're going to get to a Steam Deck episode, which mm. I believe we could have done between the three of us, but mm-hmm. it seemed too cruel and also just not comprehensive enough because a lot of people don't have a Steam Deck yet. I was living that life not that long ago. I would mention <laughs> that it is it is more possible to have to get a Steam Deck now than it ever has been. And it That's will become yeah, really more and more easy there, as shipping. time goes on. And so. more possible to get a Steam Deck than a PS5, I think, still. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you can at least sign up to get one and you <laughs> will get one at some point. With right? PS5, that's not even possible. Yeah, with a Steam Deck, you can pre-order anytime. Yeah. yeah, with a PS5, you can't just up and pre-order. With a Steam Deck, you can pre-order, you just have to wait a little while. So this seemed like, I would say the timing on this is a lot less cruel than it would have been if we were doing them when we very first got them. Yes, yes Which absolutely. did always feel a little like, why am I talking about this thing that nobody can even have? Yeah, Oh, so the, we'll do a little bit of that, but there are some other examples too. Uh, so obviously the Switch OLED is out. Switch is kind of old news, but it's new news for a lot of people who got one during the pandemic, including my darling girlfriend. And also Logitech this past week that we're recording this announced that they're going to have a handheld device, the G Cloud Gaming Handheld, they're calling it. And um, it's mostly been mocked by people since that <laughs> release, at least in my corner of the woods. But when I heard it, you're like, also Logitech. It's like, what? wait, what? Logitech? Well, it, I, mean, I, I feel like the main thing that's newsy about this is the fact that it's $350. It's like, oh, what, do you guys not know that you're supposed to be the budget option for something like this? Like, it's Logitech, right? right? 
Hey, yo. And then the other the other examples that are very trendy, but which I don't believe any of the three of us have are the retro handhelds. There are a bunch of sort of Kickstarter and crowdfunds for stuff like this. There's the Playdate, the Analog Pocket. There's this other one that Kirk put on the list that I've never heard of, the Anberic. Oh, the Anberic RG351P. So to, to explain these a little bit, then yeah, the reason please. that I put them on the list. So I should say Playdate is in its own category because it's not really a retro handheld. It's it has, It's got the crank, right? It's got the little crank on it? Yes. This is the – I don't know if it was crowdsourced, <laughs> but it's – I think it's Panic selling it. It's a very cool device from what I gather. But it is a boutique handheld that plays unique games that are designed for it. Among mm-hmm. other people, Lucas Pope, I think, designed a game for it. I, it's probably pretty cool since he makes cool games. But they kind of got a bunch of developers to design games specifically for that device. It's a little different than something like the Analog Pocket, mm-hmm. which I know people really like. Um, our friend uh, Russ Frushtick is into into retro gaming. Uh, also, uh, Griffin McElroy, also on the Besties, plays a bunch of these things. People really like them, and I learned more about them when I started getting into emulation on the Steam Deck because there are some great YouTube channels that are all about retro emulation and retro games. And they did a whole bunch of great stuff about the Steam Deck when that when it first came out, like guides for how to do stuff. And then I follow some of those channels now and I'll just see they're constantly posting new, like reviews of new retro handhelds that are primarily designed for emulation. The Logitech one is a little weird because it's like an Android handheld gaming thing. It's sort of, I'm sure you can emulate a lot of stuff on it. It's meant for streaming, but it's kind of more in that camp. Like mm-hmm. it, it looks a little like a Steam Deck, but it doesn't seem like it can really quite compete. Really, we just want to talk about the Steam Deck and the Switch. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I also think Logitech might be trying to eat a little bit of Nintendo's lunch very poorly because the Switch also does a lot of cloud streaming these days. And many announcements mm-hmm. that they've done have been for not necessarily a port, but for cloud streaming games so that's kind of cool it's a way to do things and we've talked about streaming on the steam deck too and how that works but Mm -hmm. mainly what i wanted to talk about and i think we all do is that having a steam deck has changed my life having a switch (laughs) changed my life already several years ago but having a switch and a steam deck means that i can constantly game on the couch now and I'm loving life and I'm so excited about all the together alone couples hanging out that Dina and I are having. Have you have you two ever called it that together alone? It's coined by a different uh lesbian couple we also know. So I don't know if it's a trend, but we call it parallel play, I Ooh, believe is the term, which I think I like is that. a childhood development term. That's what my toddler does. Yes, yes. it's it. a childhood development term, but it's something that adults can do as well. As so you play yeah. in parallel to one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're on the same development level as my three-year-old, Kirk and Emily, you guys are parallel playing. I got it. <laughs> well, they're yes. on the yes. same as each other's developmental level, so they're that's true. That's all that parallel matters. playing with each other. But yeah, we call it together alone, which is when one person is playing a game and the other person is watching a TV show. And you aren't really talking to each other, but you're kind of hanging out. And every now and then you can say something to the other person, but you don't have to pay attention to what they're doing. When we do together alone, it's when we're watching the show alone together. Ah, see that (laughs) I feel like is another category that is also possible, which is like we, Dina and I could both watch a TV show that does not require very much thought. Hate watching The Bachelorette, for example, Mm. while we're both playing a handheld video game that does require more attention mm-hmm. and you're just periodically looking up at the show and commenting on it together this is a true 2022 lifestyle choice this like ev- multiple forms of media coming at you at the same time and you're hanging out i feel like this is my life now jason do you do this at all you guys are making me nostalgic for the time before i had children when yeah. i could spend a weekend just uh, well, but... parallel playing with my wife well i don't spend um, the whole weekend okay. parallel playing with emily <laughs> <laughs> let me let me explain the parental perspective here because yeah, handheld gaming please. is a, a life changer if you're a parent for several reasons so when you have a newborn as as i do as you guys uh, may fondly remember what? Uh, had a had a new baby about 6 <laughs> weeks ago um, yes yes we're very proud of you go on um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so when you're a newborn, there's a lot of time, especially in the middle of the night when you're just holding him um, because he won't sleep on his own quite yet. And either you're feeding him a bottle with one hand or you just have him like resting on you and you can use two hands. But either way, it's a perfect time to have a handheld gaming device. Um, it could be your phone. It could be a Switch. It could be a Steam Deck. So I've been playing a game on my Switch, which I'll talk about with my uh, it's my one more thing this this week. So I'll get it get to it a little bit later. But I've been playing it a lot while holding a baby at four in the morning. <laughs> so that's been my my key gaming time. Um, that can also be true during the day. And then the other part of the parental equation is if you have an older kid um, and you like want to congregate in the same room as them. So you don't want to like go off to your office or something, depending on your specific living setup. In my house, I have my office where my computer is and my consoles are. And then we have our family room where we spend most of our time and where my kids' toys are and stuff. We spend mo- Since we're in there most of the day, it's very helpful for me to have a Steam Deck or a Switch because I can sit on the couch playing that while my kid is playing on her own. And I can parallel play with my toddler. You're, you're playing in parallel when you're hmm. doing I can parallel play with my three-year-old because she and I are on the same developmental level. So all this is to say that if you are a parent, and I'm sure every every parent out there listening is just nodding furiously as they as they listen along to this, um, handheld gaming is like it's not only a lifesaver; it's like pretty much the only way to play games, um, unless you're lucky enough to like have a job where you can sometimes play games in the middle of the workday. Um, handheld gaming is probably going to be your go-to, or unless you're lucky enough that you're you can put both of your kids to bed by like 7:30 and then go play mm-hmm. games by yourself. But many many couples want to spend that time together so it makes it much more difficult so yeah thank god for handheld gaming systems yeah handheld gaming systems have always been a part of my life we actually just talked in the bonus episode about the game you know, boy games that we played as yes. kids yeah and, and i was allowed to have a game boy despite not being allowed to have a set top console like a super nintendo which would have been the console i would have wanted around this time in like 1992 1990 that kind of era and like ever since then i've always played handheld games and they've always had a role in my life but they've never become the way that I play video games because there's always there's always been a kind of a divide for me and I think this is true for a lot of people um and maybe it's partly because as a kid I was allowed to play handheld games and then set top games were treated as a slightly different thing mm-hmm. but I also think that just generally we kind of think of them as two separate things I mean I guess we're doing an episode about handheld gaming like it's own discrete thing but there's just always been this difference. So when I'm playing a game on a console, you know, I'm usually playing on a monitor at my desk, sometimes at the TV, and it's much more of a plugged-in, intense experience. I'm wearing headphones. I'm, you know, there's it's a, a big production. screen in front of me. Yeah, it's a production, and I'm really committed to it. And for the longest time, handheld gaming was just a separate thing that I would do. So I had a DS for a while, and I played a whole bunch of games on DS. I then had a 3DS and played a bunch of stuff on that. Then when the Switch came out, that was the first time in a long time that I'd felt like, oh, this is different, right? That was the exciting thing about the Switch, was that there was a game like Breath of the Wild on a handheld. And we that was the really remarkable thing about that game, like reviewing the Switch and and that game, was we were, Jason and I, we've told the story before, we like went to GDC in San Francisco and were able to just take our new exciting big open world video game with us and just play it there. So I guess I've had this feeling so many times where I'm playing a handheld game, even before Breath of the Wild, and have thought, well, this is a really nice way to play games. I really like just sitting here playing. I guess it was Fire Emblem. What's the one? Is Awakening. it oh, Awakening? The, mm-hmm. Yes, which was the first Fire Emblem game that I got into. And I liked that game more than anything else I maybe played that year or almost anything else. And I had this feeling of, wow, it, it's really nice to just be able to play this wonderful game wherever I go. And it always felt like kind of an anomaly. Oh, yeah, handheld gaming is cool. And now that's really changed for me. And that's the thing that the Steam Deck has changed. It's that that's just how I play video games now. I haven't played a game at the TV or at my desk since I got a Steam Deck, which was in, ah. when was that? Like wow. March? This whole year. And I've played a lot of stuff. Um, because I have it, it's now a thing that can play anything. I've got emulated games running on it. I've got a lot of stuff natively installed. But it can stream things from my PlayStation. So I've been playing Persona on it. I've tried just playing like a little bit of per- um, Horizon Forbidden West. And it plays great. I mean, it their latency is not a problem. It's totally playable. It runs at 60 frames per second. I suspect that'll change when God of War comes out because you're going to want to play that on a screen. Yes, I think so. Um, I think I'll mostly play that on a screen. But that's the other thing is that 
will kind of I'll have the option, right? If I'm just doing some repetitive stuff or something, I can just play it still on Steam Deck, and it will work. Well, fine. I think I think also to to your point there, I think that might also be testament to the lack of like big uh, AAA releases this year that you would want to play on a big screen. I think that it matches up. Like I think that there's there's some overlap there, but I mean the games that I've been playing on Steam Deck, I've been finally playing Cyberpunk 2077, streaming it from my PC. I've been play- I played through most of God of War streaming from my PC. And the thing is, the spectacle, the size of the screen, I've realized it just doesn't matter. I mean, I'm playing God of War and amazing stuff happens, and it's still really exciting. It's just a smaller screen, but I'm holding it pretty close to my face. And I mean, it's still amazing looking and cool. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's be- true. I guess I played all of Breath of the Wild on handheld, so yeah, I guess I agree with you there. Right. It, it, I've realized yeah. that it doesn't actually matter to me and that the pros of the handheld experience of just sitting out with Emily, playing wherever I want, and just having that customizable, relaxing experience really outweigh the, the pros of a screen. So mm. I want to also uh, bring up a point here, which you were taught, which something you said like made me think of, which is I think that in 2017 something really changed, and I think the Nintendo Switch really changed the way that we all perceive handheld games. And the main reason for that is up until 2017, since the 1980s, Nintendo has always had two separate divisions of game makers. They've always had people working mm-hmm. on handheld games and people working on console games. And at first it was like the handheld is very much the B team. It's like this is where we stick all the kind of like inferior experiences or like sometimes not quite inferior. I mean Maddie, you, you were talking the other day on our bonus episode about Super Mario Land 2 which is a great game. But it's always mm-hmm. like the, the, the smaller Kirby. size There's versions. There's a lot of great Kirby games. Yeah, a lot of great know. Kirby games. And then as, as time went on as the Game Boy turned into the Game Boy Advance and then the DS and the 3DS and Nintendo started like really making incredible games for their handheld systems in addition to their console systems. But what happened was uh, circa like right after the Wii U, they decided to um, converge all of their development efforts on just making Switch games. And suddenly it was like, uh, 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 for lack of a better word, a Switch was flipped. And suddenly (laughs) handheld gaming became the dominant Play, place to play Nintendo games and that changed everything like suddenly you're getting your full, full-fledged Zelda game and full-fledged Mario game and like everything else on a handheld system and I think that since then I think the industry is just like our, our perception of portable gaming has really changed um, and then the other part of the equation is of course mobile games but that's a whole nother conversation and that also is has really changed the way we think of games on the go on a, on a handheld device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also whether games have to be on the go in the first place, which is something I was thinking about a lot as I was uh, putting together the notes for this episode. Because for me, a lot of it is just mental and it doesn't have anything to do with what the processing capabilities are of whatever I'm holding. Because mm-hmm. I have a pretty big iPhone screen-wise. It's an 11. It's It's capable of running pretty much anything I would want it to. And yet... I don't ever play games that feel all that deep on my phone. And I don't feel like I would want to do that. I know for a while I was playing um, the Final Fantasy VII port on my phone and I was enjoying it, but I ended up buying it for Switch just because I wanted that bigger screen. And I was still actually playing it handheld, but I replayed the whole first hour of the game again just because I was like, I'd actually rather have a slightly bigger screen and better controls. That's the other big clinch point is better controls. And uh, that changes things. That's the thing I wanted to bring up is that I think the controls are a really important part of this evolution. I think that's absolutely right, Jason, that the switch was the switch flip moment for this when there was suddenly what felt like a portable console. And I think that a big part of that was because the switch was, I'm probably not the first handheld to do this, but the first that I owned and that was kind of a mainstream handheld that had the full, like, complete set of controls that you would have on a standard video game controller accessible on the on a handheld because the Vita you can look at these feints at this the Vita I was gonna say the Vita has has the full set no, no but the Vita did not have a complete set of controls it had one set of triggers and not two and the thumbsticks mm. couldn't be clicked mm. and as a Got result it. you couldn't actually I mean you could play things I played Persona Five remote play on Vita and I had set it up so there were kind of the back you could like tap the back of the thing with this imprecise. You know, sort of there were buttons there, but they weren't buttons. But to do instead of the thumbsticks, and then I think the trigger was the other one. But it didn't work as well, and it wasn't truly one-to-one. And that was what the Switch has. And now I think that's what the Steam Deck has done 
on top of what the Switch was doing. And it's really, I think, this, the Steam Deck's greatest strength. Well, the Steam Deck has two great strengths. One is that it's an open OS, so you can just run whatever the hell you want on it. And that's huge because you can stream things from whatever, you can play whatever, you can just use Windows on it, you can any Linux game, anything, which is really big because the Switch is closed. <laughs> Turn it into your work computer if you, if you mm-hmm. want. You totally can. <laughs> People do. Or play all your console games as Kirk has been doing, which is also right. pretty rad. Yes, it's fantastic. And that's, I feel like that's how everything should work. But the other thing that it does is the controls are, I would say, better than the Switch, just because for me, at least, the Switch has always felt kind of small. I have one of those big, hoary controllers for the Switch, which is better for Monster Hunter. But it still isn't, you know, totally great. I mean, or at least it's good, but it's not as good as the Steam Deck, which is really pretty incredible. I mean, it feels as good as a really nice controller with additional other buttons and trackpads. And then what they've done is the software side of it, which I talked about back when we talked to, when I was first talking about the Steam Deck. But that's they've also opened up reprogramming the controls to allow you to customize your experience on that end. And I think a big part of the appeal of handheld gaming is the customizability of like your environment when you're playing games, which mm-hmm. is like, that's just a way to think of it is it's not just that it's mobile, you can take it with you on the train or, or, t- or traveling. It's that you can choose where you want to play games among anywhere that you can go because you can play it anywhere. So it's kind of just more customizable experience. And then the controls on the Steam Deck are also really customizable in a way that I just find it's really accessible, it's really nice. I can do so many different things. I was playing uh, my one more thing, uh, Trombone Champ, which <laughs> is the greatest. You were playing that on the Steam Deck? Amazing. Oh, yeah, the greatest video game ever made, and I'm playing it on the Steam Deck. And what's so fun about that game, oh, everything about that game is fun, but one thing that's really cool is the Steam Deck has gyro controls that you can fully customize and apply to whatever you want, so you can be playing this trombone game by, like, moving the Steam Deck up and down with your trombone. I mean, it's your, trans- your slide is going in and out, I suppose, rather than up and down, but it matches with the game, and you can do that kind of thing. You need to hook it up to a real trombone. Yeah, Someone will. I'm, I'm not going to be the person surely. to do that. That's yeah. It's inevitable. And get a perfect score. Mm-hmm. But it's... The point is, I don't know, for playing shooters, you can turn on gyro aiming, you can aim with the trackpad, you can do some hybridization of things. There's all these different options. And that, I think, it's cool and just is a Steam Deck is cool kind of a thing. But it also, I think, complements the customizability of handheld gaming in that you can go wherever you want and you can play whatever you want with whatever controls you want. It just starts to feel like a really different experience than sitting down with this one controller at a screen in this one place to play a game. Mm-hmm. I also always felt like there were some games that were just made for handhelds, and that is <laughs> yeah. those are the kinds of games that feel like they're really, really awesome now. Like mm-hmm. the new Metroid, Metroid Dread is a great example of this where the previous game by Mercury Steam is um, on the 3DS and it came out right when the Switch came out and no one but me was talking about how good that Metroid game was. Samus mm-hmm. Returns, it's called. I still kind of wish they would surprise port that to the Switch. I feel like people would yeah. really love that. Um, but that trajectory of these developers who made a Metroid game for the 3DS that was largely ignored except by Metroid fans who then make one of the most successful Metroid games ever for a platform that people actually have, but they're using their skills that already suited a handheld style of play. It just seems like a really great fit to me. And the other thing that I was thinking about was um, I really liked playing Danganronpa on my Vita. It was like the last game I played on the Vita, I think, before I moved on with my life. But games like that feel like they're meant for a Steam Deck or a Switch. And it's no shade to the Vita. I enjoyed it a lot. It's very cute. I actually think it's very comfortable to hold. I know it still has a huge fan base of mostly people who are really into hacking them because apparently they're really easy to Mm -hmm. mod. Uh, I never actually went that route and I now feel like I never have to (laughs) because it's so much easier to do that stuff on the Steam Deck. And it just feels like the next logical step in all the kinds of games I like that were sort of made for the Game Boys of the world. It's like mm-hmm. my dreams have been achieved as both a Metroid fan and also a fan of basically visual novel games, like books <laughs> Where do as you games. go from here, Maddie? Your dreams I are, don't know. Like, my dreams are you've achieved. You've reached the pinnacle. 
it just, I don't know. Life is good. I'm feeling good. I do feel kind of sad for my iPhone, though. I was curious, Kirk, as an iPad owner, and also since we both just played Papers, Please, me on my iPhone mm -hmm. and you on your iPad, that was a great experience and had me thinking to myself, the touchscreen here for shuffling the papers, that's so great. And that's not really something the Switch can do. The Steam Deck mm -hmm. does have some touchscreen abilities. But it just seems like there's a lot of opportunity there for games to try something different. Yeah, there is. And I think so many people have a subscription to Apple Arcade Plus now that they just sort of get a lot of those games and play them. That Clap Hands Golf game is really good. There's there's some other just good games that people can sort of download. It's cool now that we have we have like a family plan and I can just be like, oh, Emily, check out this game or that game. And there's a lot of really good games there and they are really easy to play. Um, it's different. I mean... It kind of comes back to the controls thing. As a lowercase g gamer who plays a lot of things with a controller, I um, you know, I, I will always like playing things on, you know, with Steam Deck style controller or Switch controller, unless it's specifically a game like Papers Please, which it makes sense that Lucas Pope designed something for the playdate because, you know, he, I mean, obviously Papers Please was on PC first, but when you play it on a big touchscreen, it really like. You know, it's such a tactile game. It's about moving things around on a desk. It really fits. Um, or FTL, I remember that game mm. is really good on iPad. There are some other games like that that just, they really work because it feels like you're kind of, it's like the game was designed for this sort of input. But most games aren't like that, or at least a lot of games that I play aren't like that. And um, they at least benefit from having maybe the option to do both, which I haven't seen a lot of on either Switch or Steam Deck, like touchscreen, like actual touchscreen games, just because... Both of them tend to, like, they have to include the ability to be played with a controller mm -hmm. or, like, with the Switch to be put on the TV where there's no touchscreen at all, so they can never quite make it. I think there's one Switch game that is touchscreen only. Yeah, I was remembering that when I was saying that. But, um, I, you know, I, I do think that that distinction, the distinction you were talking about, Maddie, between, like, a game that feels made for handheld and a game that doesn't is interesting because it's true. And it, it was a thing that kind of arose after the Switch came out. Like where, I mean, Hollow Knight, for example, when that came out on Switch, that was when a lot of people played it for the first time, including me and I think Jason. Mm -hmm. And that was where that game became such a phenomenon. It was before that, it was a lot of people saying, hey, this is one of the best games ever made. And other people saying, yeah, I believe you, but I'll play it at some point. And then suddenly it was on Switch and that was just this perfect experience. It was just the greatest way to play this game that was like 80 hours long. And I, I do think, I don't know, I think that that, Imagining that distinction is interesting in part because I wonder if that distinction will be a sort of artifact eventually. Like if we'll stop thinking of the this split between handheld and TV or whatever gaming the way that we do because technology will change enough that, that it won't be a meaningful distinction anymore and then people won't think of games in that way anymore either. Yeah, I think part of the um, reason that Hollow Knight became such a cultural phenomenon on Switch is uh, one of the same reasons that other games have like kind of whiffed on PC and then had a long tail when they got on Switch, which is that um, for its first couple of years on the market, a lot of Switch users were hungry for games, looking for games exactly like that. Um, another example for that comes to mind is something I wrote about in, in my latest book, The Flame and the Flood, which is a game that kind of like did not meet expectations on PC, but then when it came to Switch later in 2017, it blew them away and like sold really well. Um, there have been other indie games like that too, especially in the first couple of years of the Switch's release. So I think it's kind of that it's mm -hmm. it's less about the it just being a perfect fit for that experience. Although that's part of it, but I think it's more that it's just like it hit the zeitgeist just when people were hungry for that sort of thing. And I think a game like Hollow Knight, yeah. um, if that had come to PC last year and then to switch this year, I don't know that like the switch release would have made the same sort of impact as it did three years ago when it came out. I'm not sure. It's, it's an interesting thought experiment um, just because there's so many other options. I do think that Hollow Knight was pretty successful on PC when it yeah, came out. Like, it, it did thing. well for itself. Yes. It just then became much bigger when it, when it came to. Switch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is timing. I really think part of that is just the timing of it all. Um, but yeah, obviously it's a tremendous game. And, and um, the other part of that equation, 
mentioned also is that I believe the Hollow Knight developers had announced from the get-go that they were coming to PC and Switch, or at least very close to the PC release. They said they were coming to Switch, which made a lot of people inclined to wait for the Switch release. Um, mm. Even today, I mean, with the Steam Deck, you would think that like maybe there will be less interest in like, oh, this PC popular PC indie game is coming to Switch, but the Steam Deck has only sold a, a few million units at most. Yeah. The Switch has reached 100-something, 110-plus million units. So mm-hmm. there's a massive, massive audience for, for those games coming to Switch. So that's still going to be a thing in, in some ways. Maybe not maybe not quite as... Um, maybe it won't be quite as easy for an indie developer. Not easy. Maybe it won't be quite as common for an indie game to like suddenly have massive legs on Switch the way it was a couple of years ago. But, um, but uh, I think you're still going to see a lot of PC games find new life on the Switch. Yeah, I wonder if, if Trombone Champ is going to come to Switch. I feel like it would do really well. <laughs> I feel like it would too. But that yeah. game also feels like I don't know. I don't know that it's that deep. <laughs> like the, no, the it's, yeah, that, that game. Really I think well. people are going to get sick of that game in, in a, a couple week, of But weeks. it's perfect for right now. No, it's funny that we're recording this episode early yeah. because it's like <laughs> it will be forgotten about by the time we'll anyone's will be like, like Trombone Champ. Oh, I remember that. We're recording it in the midst of trombone champ mania okay yeah, we are right, right in right. the thick of it right now we are waiting for clips to emerge on twitter people are going to be listening to this episode mm-hmm. on september 29th and they're going to be like oh trombone champ that was so september 22nd <laughs> yeah they're going to be able to place exactly when we recorded this yeah i i do also feel um not to harp on hollow Knight too long i feel like some of that was also metroid hunger i know i'm i'm a very yeah, biased no, no, metroid fan right. but I think some of it was also people just really wanting a good Metroidvania and that was it just felt like a fit for Switch because it's Nintendo and people just wanted it to be a Metroid game. I know that's how I felt about it the first time I played it and never beat it. But also it just speaks to my point about how some things just feel like they're supposed to be a handheld game. I actually really liked playing Hollow Knight on PC because it's also really difficult, but there's something about it that reminds me of an old school handheld platformer yeah, and um, playing the new, well, the new release of Ace Attorney, it's a very old Ace Attorney. I can't remember what that's called, but playing that on the switch and reading all that text on switch just felt like it made sense. Like, again, it just feels like some games feel like they're supposed mm-hmm. to be on a handheld. It's just that they should also be on a handheld that is very big. <laughs> and <laughs> well, that is that big is... and comfortable. <laughs> To your point, Metroid Dread has sold 2.9 million copies. Um, Hollow Knight has sold 2.8 million copies. So I'm not sure. I I feel like there's probably not a like uh, the hunger for Metroid. I think uh, critics tend to believe is is higher. This is more more insatiable than it actually is. Like I, I don't think there's as much of an audience for those games. You could be as, right. Yeah. It's there's also like Castlevania fans and you know other right people yeah with their sure own 2D well I wouldn't fandoms. be shocked if Silk Song outsells Metroid Dread because I feel like Hollow Knight has become more of a, a cultural phenomenon than Metroid ever well, was well and Silk Song will be multi platform mm-hmm. and also as well, like so. Metroid Dread was the first mainline plot Metroid game in like 15 years <laughs> that wasn't mm-hmm. a remake or right. like made by another studio or whatever I mean we talked about that on that episode I just I'm just forcing everyone to talk about Metroid. <laughs> so wait, I have a so I have a handheld gaming thought. Okay. This is related to the Vita, which I at least found to be an aesthetically very pleasing object. And Glad I think that that's a big this. part of handheld gaming. <laughs> it is. Because not all handheld systems are all that aesthetically pleasing. And I will say that for all of the things I like about the Steam Deck, I don't find it to be a very aesthetically pleasing system. I agree. Mm-hmm. It is not a good looking console. I'm sad to say it. It's in earshot right now. It's sitting right here and I'm dissing it right in front of it. Oh man. It's messed up. Well, we said a lot of nice things, so hopefully that <laughs> built it up some. Um, yeah, one of the worst things is on the like Steam Deck subreddit, people will post, you can get these sort of covers, like these protective covers for your Steam Deck, uh-huh. but they all look absolutely like boiled ass because <laughs> they're like, they boiled cover ass. all of the That's surfaces. Quite an image. They cover wow. like every surface, but because there are so many surfaces on a Steam Deck, including the trackpads, it's just not as neat as like a screen cover for a phone or something. It's like really weird and gnarly looking. Yeah. They just make your Steam Deck look more tactical, which is not something that it that it benefits from. It's like and then it's just kind of this plastic or thing. Your solid snake carrying it around. 
Think about the Vita or think about the Game Gear. That's another one that people really like. The Game Gear has these rounded curves. It's just this sort of really attractive looking sort of, you know, oblong shape. I really, I have very fond memories of just the color of the screen, the way that it looked, because mm-hmm. I had a Game Gear that I really loved. The Game Boy is like a very charming looking device, even though the screen is pretty ugly. The Game Boy Color, though, better looking. Oh, yeah. And then you get into the Analog Pocket, which is this new handheld that people seem to really like that looks, it's really nice looking. It looks like this kind of modern Game Boy, and it mm-hmm. can play all these these classic games. It's like and for the all Vita, the people for me, who have a Game Boy-themed phone case on their very s- smart smartphone. <laughs> it's for those people. Right. It's for people who want to live the retro style, but with a new engine underneath. So I think that's a big part of the appeal of handheld gaming, or it's just a cool aspect of handheld gaming that largely gets lost when you're talking about PC gaming or console gaming. You know, it's like uh, controllers and mice and keyboards. Like it's, you know, I think of the late, great Mike Fahey and his obsession with With uh, mechanical keyboards. keyboards. It was all about, they were beautiful, those keyboards here to review, these really nice looking like pastel colored blue and pink sort of keyboards with no framing and just raised keys or wooden keyboards. It's the same kind of thing where there's just a nice sort of sensual pleasure to having this cool object. And the Vita for me was, I mean, that's, I have an original Vita and it's so gorgeous. I mean, I still think of it as just, it's kind of the most nice looking handheld system that I've ever used, even though as a con- you know, the controls aren't as good, it's not as powerful, whatever, all these mm-hmm. other things. No, but it's very pretty though. It looks like an infinity mm-hmm. pool with the glass screen that goes all the way to mm-hmm. the edges. There's just something mm-hmm. about that that makes it look super futuristic and I don't know. It's fun. I I feel like the Steam Deck doesn't look as cool as I wish it did. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> it's very PC game it's, company. It's like it's very, very utilitarian. It's very practical. Yes. It, it, I don't know. I feel like I've run into this also building PCs. Like a lot of mm-hmm. stuff looks very embarrassing and there isn't really anything you can do about that. And yeah. I have a clear um, case, a clear side on my PC so people can see inside my embarrassing PC. Uh, so everybody knows that you're a member of the Republic of Gamers. <laughs> Republic of Gamers, <laughs> among other things. And if there's like rainbow lights cycling on something, you know, mm-hmm. everyone can see that. And... <laughs> the PC, the names of the PC parts are always the most embarrassing. Thing, I know. Right? Oh, you worst. got a G Ripper, Thread Ripper, uh, 400. My monitor, I think, is called a Predator. Yeah, so whenever I, I boot up my monitor, which is now mainly just sitting here displaying like some audio plugins because I don't play games on it anymore. But whenever so I turn sad. it on, it says Predator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. settle down. Um, <laughs> my computer says Republic of Gamers every time I turn it on. Yeah. I think the Switch OLED is incredibly aesthetically pleasing. I thought that the mm. DS Lite is one of the best looking consoles yes. ever made. The 3DS uh, also started really, to look really nice. nice. 3DS XL is up there too. Um, my Majora's Mask 3DS XL is definitely a fond, mm-hmm. a fond, mm-hmm. uh, fond. I have purchase. one of those as well. Nintendo always understood this about handhelds. Mm-hmm. Is they made really nice looking handhelds. Well, not always. The the original DS was pretty ugly. Um, so not always. They and get then there. They've they, had some missteps, and the original. Game Boy was pretty ugly, as we said. They were very clunky. Always was overstating it. But, well, but they always had, one of the cool things Nintendo did is Nintendo always had, like, a bunch of different options. Like, the purple see-through option was always super cool for the Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Mm -hmm. etc. I had a clear see-through Game Boy for a bit, which was, um, I think, a Game Boy Color. And it was very Mm -hmm. cool. Any clear electronics, very 90s, amazing trend. They should bring that back. Clearly, I'm living it because I have my clear They should. What if a Steam Deck, like a clear Steam Deck? (laughs) I should show you. Check this out. (laughs) I just got these in-ear monitors. I wonder if you guys can see these. And they're clear electronics. You can see the electronics inside of them. Interesting. They're very cool. Very old school looking. I like this. And I feel like the aesthetics Mm -hmm. are actually related to the larger point we're making about the mainstreaming of handheld gaming and how you want it to be not just a status object, but an object that people want to have lying around in their living room that actually looks Mm -hmm. really attractive sitting there on the coffee table and doesn't just look like a bunch of crap. (laughs) (laughs) Or like the Steam Deck, which does look kind of like a Star Destroyer up on the desk. I think aesthetics of handhelds are more important because you're taking it on the go. I mean, that's one thing. The three of us have all been working from home, so we've all basically been just like not leaving our houses. But of course, (laughs) the one thing that we haven't really mentioned is that with the Switch, with the Steam Deck, with any of this stuff, if you do commute to work uh, on public transportation, not in a car, or or someone else Mm -hmm. is driving you, or if you travel a lot, if you go on planes a lot, if you go on trains a lot, 
that. I mean, handheld gaming is just like a game changer. And the number of times that I brought my Switch with me or my 3DS or Vita or whatever it was on work trips and just like filled up an entire airplane ride with them. In fact, I was talking about this on the bonus episode, but I'll share it here too. When I was a kid, uh, my Game Boy time, my parents said I could only use the Game Boy on trips, but on airplanes, like usually my video game time was limited, but on airplanes, I could play Game Boy as long as I wanted. So it taught me to love airplane rides because it was like, oh shit, like I could play 10 hours of Game Boy if we're like traveling across or like however long mm-hmm. the flight was, which was uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember bringing so many batteries with me. Like, yeah. oh, the yeah. Game Boy took batteries. <laughs> yes, you, you gotta have a stack in. of a stack of double like, batteries. Ten oh, yeah. double A's. It was wild how many batteries so I was bringing with me on trips as a child. Mm-hmm. All, mm-hmm. all in the name of the Game Boy. Well, I just wish I didn't still feel kind of sad about my phone. That's my main conclusion from today's <laughs> topic. Uh, but I guess we can leave it there. Kirk, you look like you have one more thing you want to say. But maybe you're maybe really, it's no. just your one more thing. In which case, no, I'm excited to talk about that. But no, just mainly, I'm I'm about to go on a trip. Um, that's why we're recording our episode early, and I'm going to bring my Steam Deck with. Yeah, well, don't forget to pack your AA batteries. I will. And- I'm definitely going to bring that my USB charging brick for the thing. So yeah. Yeah. Right on. Okay, let's uh, take a sec and be back with one more thing. Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon. Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel. What's the best Disney song? We Got This with Mark and Hal. Every week on Maximum Fun, we do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this. Most game shows quiz contestants about topics they don't even care about. But for more than 100 episodes, the Go Fact Yourself podcast has asked celebrity guests trivia about topics they choose for themselves. And introduced them to some of their personal heroes along the way. Oh my gosh. Shut up. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I'm going to cry. Oh my stuff. It's so, so exciting. Join me, Jake Keith Van Stratton. And me, Helen Hong, along with guests like DJ Jazzy Jeff, Yardley Smith, Roxanne Gay, and so many more on the trivia game show podcast, Go Fact Yourself. Twice a month, every month on Maximum Fun. We are back with one more thing. I will go first because mine is not a video game. And I'll be quick. So we watched Rap Shit. On HBO, they put an exclamation mark in the title so that they can still have a swear word in a title on HBO. They just don't even <laughs> Pretty clever. bother with Fuckboy Island. Yeah. They just call it F-Boy Island, which isn't even a real mm-hmm. word. But I'm not going to talk about F-Boy Island. Great show. But I'm going to talk about <laughs> rap shit. Have you two heard of this? This is Issa Rae's new show. She yes. did Insecure, another mm-hmm. great HBO show. Um, she's not in this one. She wrote the pilot and she's producing it and she worked on the final episode and I think just came up with the concept for it. And there is a character, uh, Shauna, played by Ada Osman, who is like, I don't want to say she's the Issa Rae self-insert character, but like she kind of is. Mm-hmm. She's like, she has a real Issa Rae vibe. And I mean that in the best possible way. So this is, this is a show about two women who are aspiring rappers and... One of them is Shauna, and Shauna is the character to whom we can all relate because she's a massive nerd and her raps are way too intellectual. And she just <laughs> wants everybody to hear, a, like, about her metaphor about student loans, and like, nobody gives a shit about that at all. <laughs> and her friend, Mia, who's played by uh, an actual, I mean, they're both wonderful performers, but um, this actress is known as Chameleon, that's her rap name. But it's uh, Kobe Jackson. Uh, so she plays Mia and she's like the friend who's a single mom struggling. She's a sex worker. She's like really in a super different financial position from Shauna, who's like the slightly more privileged nerdy friend. And the two of them mm. team up to be like two different women with very different perspectives on rap and music and like womanhood to make raps together. But also it's a really funny comedy. <laughs> it's like, I'm mm. making it sound very intellectual right. and serious, but it's hilarious. There's so much internet in this show. Like almost everything mm. that they show you is like 
live streams on Instagram or like memes and like they'll show the Instagram overlay and like the way that the characters all live their lives online and like all the promoting they're doing is online. I just thought it was a really cool way to set up a show and it's rare to see that done well and also have it feel almost overstimulating sometimes. Like some of the characters will be like putting stuff on Insta and others will be like hiding it because they're like embarrassed by it. And you're like sort of seeing everyone's version, like Rashomon style of like a club show or like how they think a song went or whatever. I just thought it was really rad. Um, I've always thought Issa Rae was hilarious and I love her writing of nerdy women and it's cool to see her have another success here. So it's called Rap Shit. I really recommend it. We watched the entire first season. It got renewed for a second one already, and we're pumped about it. Kind of ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, so mm. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely excited to watch it. I recommend it. Nice. Yeah, I liked Insecure. I watched the first season of it, and it was good. And it's funny the way that cinema, I guess, TV shows and cinema are figuring out how to incorporate technology. Oh, yeah. Way. It's hard. Like the beginning of Crazy Rich Asians, or I've yeah. just been watching the cyberpunk anime on Netflix, which yeah, I looks see like that. the video game a lot of the time. Like People will be talking, and the actual HUD from the video game will kind of be there because oh, it's cool. you know, kind of overlaps with the game. So it really feels like you're playing the game sometimes, but it's an anime. Yeah. It's also kind of interesting. It has that overstimulating effect. Yeah, cool. Um, so, Kirk, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is, as alluded to earlier, Trombone Champ, the hot new game that is totally dated by the time you're listening to this, and no one cares about it anymore. No, I but hope But in the moment I'm recording do. this. Is it called Trombone Champ because they would get sued if it was Trombone Hero? I assume that's why. I will. N- I am not a legal expert. And also because people are champing at the bit and I don't to play know. it, right? Mm, chomping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Trombone Champ is a is actually a funnier name than um, than Trombone right. Hero. Right, it is a funny name. Um, it is a good name. It is. It's a funny name. So this game, of course, in the, what, the one day before <laughs> we recorded this, <laughs> went mega viral on the internet. I had, I, I haven't had something like this happen in a while, where honestly, like, a dozen or more people within the space of an hour or two were DMing me or posting in various discords being like, Kirk, you have to check this out. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even send it to you because I was like, I'm sure Kirk has seen this. Has but seen I did this. think of you when I saw it. I will admit. This game is made by Holy Wow Studio. It is one of the most shareable, like social media shareable games I've seen in a long time. And it's basically a trombone-ish version of Guitar Hero where you are playing in the actual gameplay, there's just a goofy, like basically Nintendo me looking character with a trombone, and you just control a slider that goes up and down the screen on a vertical as these sorts of lines come at you, and then you have to press, you, it's a one button game, you move the mouse and press the button, and you press the button to blow into the trombone, and then you move the mouse to slide up and down, and then you have to match up with various songs, and it's all royalty free songs, so it's nothing but like <laughs> Beethoven's Fifth, or um, I don't know, Hava Nagila is in there. Yeah, the Star Spangled Banner is good. Yep. So it's a bunch of those kinds of songs, which actually makes the game more fun than if it were pop songs because they actually have a lot of fun with the arrangements. They kind of all go, like sometimes they go super epic and techno or like they really blow up by the end despite starting kind of traditional. So I have a real thought about the way that this game is designed, but for starters, this game is like a joke that someone took so far that they turned it into a whole thing. Like, when I first saw clips of this, I thought it was just going to be, like, a mobile thing or a free web game. But when I downloaded it and installed it, like, it begins with this epic cutscene where there's a voiceover by a real voice actor about, like, I don't even remember, like, the universe is out of balance and it's your (laughs) destiny to fix it. Like, look for the baboon. And it's this music is playing and there's, like, the silhouette of a trombone is coming into focus from the distance. So there's all this lore and there's a whole story (laughs) that they've built in. With baboons involved. Um, The menus look great. It looks like Wii Sports. Like, it looks like a Wii game when you're in the menus. The sounds, the, the like, background music, the all the menu items are smash, smash or something like that. Like, it really has this great, snappy design. And then it is it is really fun, and it's well-made. Like, it has a really good, it has good uh, sticky friction, to use Tim Rogers' term. The, mm-hmm. the physical friction of it is good, which isn't to say that it's easy to play the trombone in this game, because it is not, and that's really the key to the game is that it is uh, extremely, extremely silly and you're bad at it and bad trombone playing over famous songs is very funny, which is why all these videos have gone 
have gone viral. So wait a minute, so, Kirk. In this game, uh, it says like it has a pop ups of like nice, like perfecto, and one of them is nasty. Mm. But it says nasty when you do badly, and I saw that and I was like, yes. wait a minute, what? But Kirk told me that nasty means really good in in jazz world. Yeah. Controversial. Yes, well, this is, I think this is more of a sort of classical trombone world uh, in which nasty just means what it means. Okay. Mm. So and it doesn't have that sort of filthy, nasty. That's very kind confusing. Of thing. I expected nasty. Mm-hmm. I, um, I swear to God, when I first started seeing clips of this, it would say nasty, mm-hmm. nasty, nasty. And I thought it was a compliment. Like, I thought that was a good thing. I think it's a little unclear because, like, you could be like, man, that trombone player busted a nasty riff. And I think a lot of people would understand that you mean that it was very impressive. So it is kind of. It was surprising that the that the game used that. I've had a couple. One friend asked me the same question. He was like, "Wait, does nasty mean you did badly?" And I'm like, "I guess it does." But I don't know. They could have used something else there. But I do it's enjoy that. It's so yeah, perfecto even, if you get a perfect. Uh, right. But even when it says you've done it perfecto, it usually sounds like shit. I mean, that's also kind of part of the joke is that even when you're supposedly performing well, often a trombone in this setting of these songs sounds terrible. <laughs> right. So here, that's the co- the cool thing about the game in the way that it's designed, and also the really funny thing. For starters, it's that the way that these arrangements are done, you are playing the lead part of like the William Tell Overture or something, which is not, there's a trombone part in that, or there can be, but it's going to be playing like, while the trumpets play the famous part that everybody (laughs) sings. But in this, the trombone is in the front of the orchestra playing solo on everything. Like the full lead melody of every song. Yes. Like Beethoven's fifth, it's like da 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 da, which like the trombone would be, I I mean, So, right, so that's just very silly. And then the magic of this game and the thing that sets it apart from Guitar Hero is that you are playing the instrument within the world of the game and it responds like an instrument, which is a really big difference from Guitar Hero and actually one that has probably been explained at this point by the time people are listening to this, but I did think was kind of an interesting difference. When you play Guitar Hero, it gives you these, you know, those colored gems and you're pressing the buttons on the guitar and you're playing along and it's a pre-recorded, you know, isolated stem of the guitar track from like Carry On Wayward Son. And so you're playing that and then when you make a mistake, you like press the blue gem when it's supposed to be the red one and you strum. It just goes clank and nothing comes out. And the and the feeling is really deflating, right? Because the music kind of stops. Like the guitar track just goes away and you're like, "Oh shit, like we were really rocking and now there's no guitar at all." That's not funny. Like that's just sort of frustrating. It just it doesn't sound good. You feel bad. It like stops you. This is very different and I think it's the key to why this game is so successful. In this game, anytime you click, the trombone begins playing a note. And when you release, the trombone stops. And then you just start playing. So as a result, your failures become music, and it starts to sound like what I'm probably playing in the background right now is me playing this game and trying to do well, <laughs> which is hilarious trombone failure tooting all over the place with like loud notes and slides and mistakes, and that's really funny. So failing in this game becomes just as much fun as doing well, and it's a really big difference between this and something like Guitar Hero. And it's, I think it's the key to this game's success. So it's actually a really, really clever game that some talented people put a lot of work into. And while I'm sure it's kind of a flavor of the week, it is better, more clever, better designed than I think you might give it credit for if you just saw it as this kind of viral sensation. So I do want to say, like, I really like it and admire it and think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. But how long are you actually going to play it for? <laughs> I mean, I probably a few hours, but they will be wonderful hours. <laughs> Okay. A few hours is plenty for a video game. Yeah, <laughs> it's more than most. I'm just waiting for someone to beat all of Elden Ring with a trombone for a controller. Mm. Well, see, first we mm. need to come up with a trombone peripheral for Trombone Champ, and then from there we use that right. peripheral to beat Elden Ring. And by we, I mean right. gamers. I do look forward to the videos of people like getting perfect scores that sound really good, because it's possible. <laughs> it would be very hard, but it's <laughs> someone will do it, because it's the world of gaming. Someone's going to do it. I hope so. Jason, what is your one more thing? My one more thing is a game called The Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero. Um, that that name sounds might like a be Jason a little, little game messy, a little bit of a messy name there. <laughs> I think it sounds good. The Legend of Heroes Trails, Trails from, from Zero. Zero. 
let me give a little bit of context here. This is part of an ongoing series from the Japanese developer Falcom called Kiseki in Japanese, Kiseki, um, which uh, has had kind of a very long and turbulent history uh, for various reasons, one of which being that not all of the games that came out in Japan have made it out in the States, and those that did had uh, very turbulent localization processes, which I've written about a little bit on Kotaku. Um, many listeners out there might know that I have long been a big fan of a game called The Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, which came out for the PSP in North America circa 2011, 2012, something like that. And then now it's on like PC, so you can play it there. Um, and and uh, I believe that's it. But uh, So that game is just like this incredible JRPG that uh, has the this amazing writing and cast of characters and is just like, yeah, good like as, as good a JRPG as you could get, I would say. Um, and a really good combat system that like goes a little bit beyond your traditional turn-based combat system by adding like turn manipulation and a grid, a positional grid, and so it's really, really fun. Um, so that game got a sequel and its own kind of trilogy, the Trails in the Sky trilogy. And then what happened was in Japan, after the Trails in the Sky series came this this duology, these two games called Crossbell, and then came another series, also in the same universe, called Trails of Cold Steel. Now, what's important about all these games is they're all set in the same world with the same characters and settings and people and NPCs mm. and stuff like that, which is one of the big reasons they're so appealing to people is because kind of like the Seacoden series instead of mm-hmm. just like playing a game and then you're on to the next one you're part you're invested in this ongoing world and story and characters and there's a lot to just like really sink your teeth into it it's got a lot of rich lore and stuff like that um Unfortunately, the Crossbell series, just due to it being on the PSP and bad timing and all sorts of reasons, um, these being super text-heavy games, being first and foremost, um, the Crossbell games never actually made it here. And then so the next game that we got here after the Trails in the Sky games was uh, The Legend of Cold Steel. The Cold Steel series, I mean, some people like it. I am not a huge fan. To me, it's it's always felt like a slog. Um, it goes, it, it, it's just, it's not mm-hmm. great, I would say. Um, and in fact, I've talked about Cold Steel 2, how I couldn't even finish that. And I started Cold Steel 3 and it was just a bummer trying to get through those. Um, but going to Trails from Zero, which is actually the first game in the Crossbell series, which is finally coming to the U.S. Essentially, NIS America, the, trans- the localization company, decided to bring these games to the U.S. for the first time because now there's this like modern version that came out for Switch and PC. So they're bringing that version to the States for the first time. That is like a return to form. So essentially, this is uh, just as good as Trails in the Sky was in many ways. So... All that said, I'm playing this game called Trails from Zero that is really awesome that I really really enjoy. And if you out there, uh, if you've been if you've followed even cl- like a, a fraction of what I just said so far, um, or if you played Trails in the Sky back in the day, but then like totally bounced off Trails of Cold Steel, the good news is that the Crossbell series is just as good as Trails in the Sky from what I played so far. So um, Trails from Zero, very short version. It's about this uh, group of four kids or teenagers. Uh, I guess JRPG characters are always going to be teenagers. Um, who join <laughs> this uh, police force. Um, but instead of becoming like regular cops, they're regula- relegated to this like special division that is seen as like the outcasts. And instead of doing police work, they have to go and do like uh, random errands for people and like do all this cleanup work that nobody wants to do and stuff like that. And there are also a lot of dicks in the police force. So they have to deal with like being looked down upon by all these other douchebags and jerks. Um, and then they get caught in this like big overarching story involving like the mafia and all sorts of other twists and turns um it's all set in this big city crossbell which is just like this huge thriving city full of like npcs and all sorts of cool flavor and and um interesting stuff to to look at and people to talk to and stuff like that and i really really like it so far i'm not super far in um because i've been playing it like during baby feedings on my switch uh so i'm probably like i don't know seven or eight hours i've been playing on an early copy provided by nis america the publisher and yeah, I really like it. I, I think that, it, and the music is incredible. Kirk, you nice. would really be into the music. I think, I'm like sure. I said, if you're a JRPG fan, but you could never get into Cold Steel, um, but you like Trails in the Sky, this is the game for you. Like, this is probably, um, from what I played so far, you will probably really dig it. I'm really digging it. Um, we'll probably talk more about it 
when I finish it uh, and have a, a better sense of the story. Um, but another important thing is that the main characters from Trails in the Sky have so far made a return and come back into it, which is another cool oh, thing nice. about it. Um, Estelle, Maddie, even though you yeah. don't like JRPGs, the main character of Trails in the Sky is this woman named Estelle, who's probably the best <laughs> like female protagonist that I've seen in a video game. She's like this spunky, like shit-talking, uh, like like fighter who I just mean, like I'm sure she's great. I feel like I always like the main female character of a JRPG. It's just that then right, the rest really, of the game is really really Maddie's problem. <laughs> Do you no. I feel like most most well, JRPGs have like cliche female characters. I this one is like not untrue. I feel like that was a lot of my praise for Final Fantasy VI, though was for mm, That's true. That's, What's her name? Tara and yeah, Celis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. But Estelle, Estelle, Estelle blows them all away. Estelle is Estelle. Yeah, Estelle is Anyway, cool. Trails sure. from Zero. Um, those of you those of you who are JRPG fans, I think will enjoy this one because I am enjoying it quite a bit. Nice. Right on. Well, that's been another hey. episode. We did it again. We did it. In one week. Oh, my god! A little bit more time traveling for us. <laughs> Hello, future people. Yeah. Hope you're all doing okay out there. We will be back in the future ourselves. We will. Next week. All right. All right. We'll see you both then. See you guys next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.